Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for common sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby standing for truth, justice, and the American way. Bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Well, Monday came really, really fast. I can't believe how fast Monday came, Rita. This was, well, it was such a busy week last week, and there was so much going on over the and weekend. And it's busier this week. Yeah, it is busy, and it's busy in the studio. We in have a the studio, house. we have uh, two congressmen, one former and one current. We have Congressman Peter King. To me, you're never former. You're still there. Thank you, John. He is, okay. the King and I. And from the West Coast, of New York. <laughs> the West Coast of New York, we've got Nick Langworthy. Congressman, welcome to the studio. It's great to be back here with you, John and everybody. From from Brooklyn, Craig Eaton, 10 years uh, GOP chairman. Thank you, uh, Craig. John, I love it. Love being here with you. And the judge. The judge. Here I am. Thank judge you very Richard much. Richard Weinberg, uh, guaranteed. He used to have a reputation. He'd get you out of jail when your time was up. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I wish we had you back in now. We need you. That's now, what I've there's, heard. There's so many things going on. And uh, I understand uh, uh, this morning I got a phone call from uh, – who'd you get a phone call at 730, uh, Congressman? Uh, former Congressman Tom Swazi. I got it at 731. There I guess he called you first. <laughs> <laughs> Who heard from him at 732? That's what okay. I want to know. <laughs> and uh, he wants to – and uh, Congressman Langworthy, uh, is Santos – here, gone, or memory? I'm pretty sure this is his last week in Congress. Um, you know, we, we've been off for a week for does the holiday. A, does he get a pension? Uh, I don't think he qualifies no. for the pension. No, no pension? this is... Uh, does uh, he they, get Blue Cross Blue Shield? Does he get the major <laughs> medical? Uh, he gets nothing. Zero. Uh, he's, uh, he's got enough hot air for everybody. Maybe five it, to ten. The, he will have federal health care for a long time, I believe, after the federal government gets done with their case. I was going to say, did you hear what Peter King said? Five to ten is what Ooh. he's getting. Whoa. <laughs> but uh, in all reality, I mean, I think this comes to a head this week and they'll have an expulsion vote and we're going to do what's right. So, you know, the, so the Democratic no side, Tom right. Not sure the date yet. is running. And uh, Peter, you live in Nassau County. Uh, uh, you know, the, you, Who's going to run against Swazi? Well, two minutes before the show started, Joe Kyra called. He is now focused on that district. It's going to be a special election in the next two or three months. And uh, the separate, uh, Mike Sapricone, his name is mentioned, Senator Jack Martins, Mazi Philippe, who's the uh, county legislator. She's the Ethiopian Israeli paratrooper with seven kids, married to a cardiologist. Who won, she's the only Republican Are you ever. sure they're not going to draft her back in? Uh, well, you never know. She, <laughs> they might need her back there. Yeah. Hey, like you say, a CIA man is always a CIA man. Yeah. Well, well an IDF person is always an IDF person. She's that's the only Republican who's ever won that seat in the history of the county legislature. So, that's interesting. So how she's, about, she's an how incredible about figure. a former commissioner here? Oh, Keyshawn Sewell. Is that who you're talking she about? She would make a wonderful congressperson. Well, she'd be an outstanding candidate she'd anywhere she wants. She would be great. African-American woman, law and order. Uh, uh, terrific. Name recognition? Yes, absolutely. And she everybody would be loved home her. Run. Everyone loved her. An unblemished record. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Joe Cairo, if you're listening, um, that's the, the right one for you. Yeah, I love Keyshawn Sewell. She's terrific. She's yeah. a dynamo. She's a wonderful person. I've known her for years. She gets, she's absolutely well, fantastic. Well, law and order is the problem. Yep. 
And uh, we have Bill Bratton coming on today. Yeah, he's Is coming he up. Um, no, but he's coming up in a minute. We also have Thomas Kenneth, who's going to give us Kenef. an update. Kenneth, Kenneth, yes. I know. I always mess yes, up his name. Kenneth, Kenef. and I know Thomas Kenneth. Now, let me tell you. Law and order is out of control. How is it up in uh, western New York? The, the state's policies have hurt every single municipality. They, our, our cops, they don't have the consequences. I, I, in my, you know, since I've taken well, office well, in January. Way, you know what they were saying? They were saying, oh, arrests are down. I said, what, are you kidding me? It, the, the, the police officers are not making any arrests. That's why they're down. They're not going to go create paperwork for themselves that people are never going to abide by. I mean, yeah. the, the lawbreakers know there's no consequences. Yes, Our streets are less safe. The, the police officers are still filling out the paperwork while, 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 the, while the criminals get out. Well, and also, who wants to be a cop these days? That's the sad thing. There was a big headline over the weekend, and we're going to be talking with Bill O'Reilly about this later on in the show. 2,500 are down. It's, it's like I, the biggest mass exodus who ever. Wants, I want to be a cop. I have That's met, so sad. Do I have met with every department in my district. The amount of people taking the civil service exam to be a police officer is half or less wow. than it, what used, it to used to be. be. Of what it used to be, they can't rec- they can't keep people retained as soon as anyone's eligible for retirement, they're out the door. And you have some people even skipping the retirement deadline, where it is a lucrative pension. They're leaving early, going into a different and, line of work now, because it's, uh, the, the morale is so low. I, I'm I'm a little bit confused because last week when I did a Zoom call with the mayor uh, for 350 business people, uh, I was told that uh, the the uh, city is not cutting the uh, the budgets of the police department. Now this afternoon, I hear that oh yes, they're going to cut a billion dollars. I think they're still Maybe, trying to figure it out. Bill Bratton is coming on. Exactly. Maybe know. Well, yeah, the city because... did announce. The mayor did announce a few weeks ago that he was cutting a large chunk of uh, from the yes. budget from the police department. But then he came back and, and said, "I it? may okay. have some other ways, but it, nothing's been done. Nothing's yeah. in writing yet, yeah. so we don't know." Yeah, but everybody's quitting and leaving. Exactly. So well, there's not going to be a budget cut because they're just going to leave. Right? How sad is that, John? And there's what nobody being sad. trained at a time, John, where and crime is skyrocketing. Right, and at a time where crime is skyrocketing. Where people just don't, you know, Craig, well, you, Fox, told, Fox, you sold a story. Fox called me and wants me on Fox Business tomorrow to talk about the shoplifting problem. Yeah, big oh, time. Wow. Big time. The huge losses. What was not, it? $4.4 billion? $4.4 billion. In New York City? And 93% of the grocers, and I want to hear if this is 100% with you, John, but 93% of the grocers are experiencing well, the good news shoplifting. Is, well, the good news for the grocers are there's not going to be any more drugstores left. <sighs> How sad going. is that? They're yeah, but, you know, I, I went to Walgreens over the weekend, and, and everything, well, anything you want yeah. is locked up now. They have everything where you need a key to get to. But they you have can't nice, even get anything. Craig, but they have nice pictures of but, the products. But you can't even get anything off even the shelves the anymore. Is everything up. is locked up. It's, a, it's, it's disgraceful. Up. It's disgraceful. Tell the story about a fair beating over yeah. the weekend. Cause you, so uh, so uh, a, friend of mine, a friend of mine who went to the parade was going on the train to, to head to the parade, and he said the exit door was open. And there were hundreds and hundreds of people just walking through the exit door without paying the fare. Wow. Just hundreds just yeah, yeah. physically walking and he, there. And he did, went on two or three different trains during his day on Thursday. And he said each of the stations had the same problem. Now, they want to charge us congestion pricing. Yeah. Put another nail in the coffin yeah. for Manhattan. And, and, and they're, not, they're not collecting any uh, tolls. You know, John, you said a few, a few months ago and even a few weeks ago that they should just push congestion pricing back. 
Yeah. Kick it back. Let, let us New get York New York recover. Let first. New York recover, and then they can discuss it. And by the it's way, it's a failed plan. And by the way, fair beating. When they pick people up for fair beating, you found out on outstanding warrants, you had murderers, rapists, burglars. These are serious wait, 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 crimes. You're showing up. your age. Just you're being a historian. I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> this was right after the War of 1812, Judge. But Judge, that was the broken windows theory. You yeah. pick people up for minor quality of crime, 100%. You pick up a criminal for a quality of life crime. You find out that he's got open warrants for, for other, you know, violent rob robberies and things like that. And then you, you arrest him. That was the first thing Bill Bratton did. That was a great signal he right. sent. Yeah. And from there on, we cut crime down tremendously. And, and by the way, we need to do it now. The one thing I want to talk about is we're waiting for Bill Bratton any second is what happened over the weekend. This is horrifying. At Hillcrest High School, Hillcrest High School in Queens, there is a teacher who was seen at a pro-Jewish rally. They got a screen image of her. They doxed her, put out her home address. Suddenly, what was it, Pete? It was a couple hundred students. Under the rampage. It was like a mob, a she wild was mob. hiding in a classroom. Have we gotten to a point where you can't even express your support of Israel, that suddenly hundreds of students are terrorizing you? But the thought that students would be terrorizing you for any reason. First of all, this one is the wrong reason. But for any reason at all, it's disgraceful. And the principal, all they're saying is that they may get suspended. You can't give out the names because of privacy. Every one of those kids should be locked up. I don't care Absolutely. what anyone says. Absolutely. Absolutely. Peter. I agree. Yeah. And But you know what? All we heard, and, and Mayor Adams has been very staunch in his support for Israel. He's actually been very good, very mm -hmm. vocal about it. But what he came out this weekend was, well, we're going to go talk to, it's vile, right. he condemned it, but he said, we're going to send people to talk to the school. I'm sorry, I agree with both of you, you got to yeah. arrest people, this is not the time to just talk. Yeah, let me put it in these terms, let's say it had been a bunch of white kids going after a black teacher, or after 9-11, if you had kids going through schools trying to get any any Muslim teacher, the whole Justice Department would be in, it would be the biggest disgrace ever, instead there's not a word being said by any of these so-called people. Yeah, Congressman Langworthy? I mean, this is the weak, feckless you know, theme that we have throughout government right now. We need to have consequences, and you need to teach our youth that there are consequences to their actions. I mean, a teacher needs to be protected in their job. This is unacceptable. And, and the problem is when things like this happen, they become contagious, and they help happen all over the place. They don't even – you have a system where you don't even protect the cops who are assaulted on the streets by punks. So if they're not going to protect the cops, everybody else is fair game. Yeah, it's shameful. And speaking of fair game, uh, did you see the latest news, too, also, John, that now there's been a 74th attack on U.S. bases? This is terrible. This is now uh, this is a ship. It's the USS Mason. And just a few hours ago, it was trying to help an Israeli ship. And guess what? It got fired on by the Houthis, which is an Iranian-backed group. What do you mean? You, you, when you say help, you mean they were a victim of piracy? Yes. Okay, which, as Peter King has pointed out, is a crime that should be punishable by death. Yeah, absolutely. All right, I understand what's going on to our next guest right now. Yep. We have Thomas Kniff on to find out what the heck is going on with that Marine uh, that rescued that woman in the subway. Yeah, the hero Marine, Daniel Penny. Uh, Thomas, uh, give us the update because I saw that there's been some filings to, and your part to dismiss the case. Where does it stand and give us the latest? Yeah, the latest. <laughs> hey, Rita, hey, John. Yeah, you know, the latest is we're doing the yeoman's work that no one ever talks about in the newspaper. Uh, you know, my, my You talk uh, my about partner. it on WABC. Yeah, you know how much. I'm telling you, there are, I wish, I always say this, I wish there were Daniel Pennies every time I've been on the subway. <laughs> yeah, everyone watches these 30 minute legal dramas and waits for the case to get wrapped up in a week. But, you know, the reality is 
that, you know, for all those uh, glamorous moments in the courtroom, you spend, you know, a uh, hundred, you know, more hours uh, writing and researching and so forth. So Stephen Razor and I and our team, you know, we've submitted about a, I think it was a, a 60 page motion a few weeks ago to, among other things, dismiss the indictment. Uh, the DA replied uh, a couple of weeks ago and, and we're putting in our uh, our reply to their reply and, and we're supposed to be back in court on December 6th now, and now, to Tom, decision. one of the things you brought up and I saw in one of your filings and I think it's an interesting point is that they, that many of the people there were obviously felt terrorized by the situation and were thankful that there was a Daniel Penny and just the amount of crime that's happening on New York City subways can can you kind of explain how you use that as the basis um, for well, part well, of we, the, we were overwhelmed, Rita, because right, a lot of people don't realize the defense is not in the grand jury. The grand jury is the district attorney's sandbox, which is why it's so easy for them to get an indictment in almost every case they, they, they present. So it's not until we get into the discovery phase that we got, you know, 550 pages of the transcript of the grand jury testimony. And, you know, we knew a lot of it was going to be favorable, but we could not have predicted how overwhelmingly favorable it was. I mean, there are people that, it testified. One person said they'd been riding the subway for 30 years. Uh, a female said she had been personally accosted on the subway through the years, but was never so deathly afraid as when those doors closed and she heard Neely open his mouth and start threatening people. And, and she wasn't the only one. I mean, there's about a dozen people that echoed similar sentiments. So we were just blown away. And, and a lot of that, as you pointed out, is what we incorporated into our motion. So were, were there more eyewitnesses to have more come forward to also validate the Marines well, claims? So many have come forward. You know, what happened was we had, you know, we have a, obviously have a team of investigators that are very good. Um, but in the grand jury stage, we don't have access to any discovery. So we really had to, you know, we were flying blind. What happened was the case had gotten so much press attention and on a lot of the press, uh, you know, stories about it, they put up a number that if you have information, contact the district attorney's office, contact law enforcement. And many people did. I think it was about a dozen people that were on the subway train. And again, I mean, they were just overwhelmingly saying that, that you know, grateful our client intervened, scared. You know, they, one, one mother was on the train and she testified in front of the grand jury that she was with her son and they used the son's stroller to barricade themselves to, for her to try to protect her son from Neely, take him out of the stroller and hide behind the stroller. I mean, that is the sort of, you know, the thing that that that, that the grand jury witnesses testified to. Tom, it's uh, Richard Weinberg. Good to talk to you again. Judge, how are you? Good. So if I recall the law correctly, there's a justification when you're protecting other people against this serious physical harm, isn't there? Well, absolutely, it's a justification, and, and not to get too wonky on the listeners, but, but an important thing to, to point out is once a justification or self-defense is, is commonly referred to, defense is raised, the prosecution has to affirmatively disprove it beyond a reasonable doubt. It's not for the defense to prove, at least in New York, that, that the defendant was justified. The prosecution has to prove that they weren't justified. And again, because uh, you know the, 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 what the eyewitnesses' accounts are so overwhelming in this case— uh, you know, ooh, I, I don't see how they could possibly do that, but, you know, time will tell. Tom, this is Pete King. You know, listening to you and I follow the case, there's like any number of available defenses here, and it's beyond me how a district attorney could have indicted him. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but to me, this seems like this, this was uh, all cooked before the grand jury even met. I mean, everything you're saying, I understand, is exactly accurate, and any one of those would be a defense against this and uh, why there should have been no true bill. 
yeah, you know, I agree, Congressman. You know, it's, it's very hard to, to understand, uh, you know, why the grand jury would have indicted this case. However, you know, it goes back to what, you know, the, the former Chief Judge Walker said. Right. I think it's so often quoted, it's a cliche at this point, but you, know, you can indict a ham sandwich. I mean, the grand jury is so one-sided that, you know, but for the fact that it's in the Constitution, you almost scratch your head and say, why do we even have them? Yeah, I was pointing more at the prosecutor of the grand jury. I mean, you know, they're the, you know, they're being led by the GA, obviously. Now, one of the things yeah, I mean, that look, I saw... Sorry, that, that gets down to the presentation. You know, in other words, yeah. w- why even put this case into right. the grand jury? Now, one of the things and, that I saw, Tom, yeah. though, on the other side, I saw the defense file a motion saying, well, you know, because he's a trained military guy, he should have known. You mean the prosecution? I mean, the prosecution, right. forgive me, a prosecution saying that because he was a trained military guy, that he should have known that the chokehold was, you know, was a dangerous position. <laughs> how are you going to counter that? I mean, how else are you going to stop somebody? Well, what are you well, supposed you know, to ways, say, hey, please you know, stop? <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's been countered already because then the reality mm-hmm. is that, you know, the, 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 the Danny's trainer, the guy who trained him in the Marine Corps, testified in the grand jury and told and said, this was not a chokehold. This is a restraint move. First of all, a chokehold is, a, is taught in the Marines as a non-lethal device. It is, a, it is a non-lethal restraint device. And if someone is in a chokehold, 8 to 13 seconds, they're unconscious. It, it, it's without question. Once the carotid arteries are, are uh, depressed, no one could have maintained consciousness uh, for more or can maintain consciousness more than 13 seconds. So we just know by virtue of the length of this encounter that there is no way that my client was uh, applying pressure to Neely's neck, uh, or certainly not for any length of time. And that also is corroborated by the eyewitnesses on the train. Multiple eyewitnesses say, look, you know, he, he wasn't squeezing. He was had his arm around his chest. He was just holding him. Neely kept resisting. Uh, you know, so again, I, I mean, it's just it's all overwhelming. The other thing I also think about also, um, and everybody, we're talking to the attorney for Daniel Penny, the Marine, the subway Marine for an update. Um, but Thomas, you know, the other thing I think about too is that it also shows him saying, um, hey, let's call 911, get the police. Um, you know, uh, other people help me. So it, it's not, uh, his actions don't belie somebody who was trying and to. And other people are holding him as well. Isn't that right, Tom? Right. Yeah, uh, listen, other, two other passengers felt compelled to, to get involved because even with my client doing what he was doing, it was not enough <clears throat> to contain this guy. Um, also, Tom, in racial terms, racial terms, one of those people holding was, was also African-American, right? They're trying to make this a racial crime. One of, at least one of which is, is a person of color. Right. Uh, another individual was a European national who, you know, after this, I was here on vacation or something and went back, went back to Europe and uh, wasn't interested in coming back for obvious reasons. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, but, and, and, you know, and many of the eyewitnesses, uh, you know, in fact, the, the, the woman I quoted before, the 30 year, you know, she was in her 60s, uh, 30 year subway passenger, I, you know, herself had been victimized on the train, never so scared in her life. She's an African-American woman. She stayed on the on the platform after minutes, minutes later to thank my client and provided her information wow. to the police wow. saying, you know, if you need anything, I'll tell you what happened here because she was so grateful for what my client did. And, and she did testify in front of the grand jury and, and repeated exactly that. So Tom, Tom Kniff, thank you so much for uh, calling in today. Yeah, keep us posted. Great job, Tom. And uh, we'll talk, we have to go to a hard break, but we'll talk again real soon.
All right. Always a pleasure, guys. Be well. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Okay. We're going to come back and we'll see if we're locating Bill Bratton. <laughs> uh, let's take a hard break right now. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katz and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. Well, we are back here on Katz and Cosby and fair beating on the subways and the buses everywhere. It is killing New York. Out of York. control, out of control. The New York Post said this morning $4.4 billion the retailers have lost. Uh, the drugstores are almost all closed up now. I mean, one way or another. And maybe the supermarkets will be closing next. Who knows? Oh, how, what a sad state of affairs. And I am so glad that our next guest has been voicing his opinion about this. Uh, the former NYPD commissioner, Bill Bratton. Commissioner, uh, great to have you here. I saw, uh, you were putting all over social media. I was cheering you on this weekend. Uh, and you were saying, you know, how this, this is indicative of just the degradation, I guess, of New York. Your thoughts? Very much so, that uh, this was a crisis that did not have to occur. Uh, I keep pointing out that uh, this was created by uh, politicians. Uh, first, uh, in terms of the shoplifting uh, issue, it was created in California with their crazy laws a few years back where literally you'd have to steal over $1,000 to be subject to arrest on shoplifting. That opened the doors. Uh, that was soon followed by our legislature here in New York. But compounding it, even when there is an ability to make an arrest, nothing happens. Nothing. They get in front of the uh, district attorneys that have limited powers under the new laws to charge. They get in front of judges, and increasingly we have uh, something that's not been looked closely enough at, uh, the increasingly liberal, progressive judges on the bench. So we're compounding it that even when we get them into a courtroom, we get them in front of judges who don't want to put anybody in jail. No, it's 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 a crisis that's growing. John knows it certainly from owning the supermarkets he owns. But any person that enters an MTA station sees it happening all around them. Uh, it's a repeat of 1990 when I first got here as chief of the transit police. We solved it back then. We could solve it again. But it's going to take the legislature to finally smarten up. Uh, uh, the Commissioner Sewell, just before she left, uh, was on our show, and she says, we put away 3,300 criminals in New York City. Those are the 3,300. New York will be safe again. That's correct. Uh, one of the things that evolved out of the CompStat process that turned New York around back in the mid-'90s, the, uh, the mapping and the accountability system, was uh, its evolution into predictive policing and precision policing, both of which I helped to create in Los Angeles and here in New York. And what that does, it allows us uh, to effectively identify within a city of 8 million people who is doing the crime. And in the case of New York City, it's under 5,000 people are committing the majority of the crimes that we read about, that we see and we hear about. So her figure, uh, 3,300, she would have had more contemporary information than I would have had back in 2016. And what she's talking about are the recidivists, people who arrested over and over and over again, and nothing happens to them because nobody wants to put anybody in jail in this state. I'm sorry, uh, uh, if we don't get back to basically penalizing people appropriately, we're not going to get out of this mess. And the idea of getting out of it, it's so simple. Effectively, courts that work, prosecutors that work, and jails that work. And by that, I mean opening jails so that we put some people in them. Bill, this is Pete King. When you were commissioner, you had all the DAs working with you. Basically, the city council was cooperative. 
And today, all that's gone out the window. Do uh, you think New York can come back, even if they somehow started to get somewhat tougher tomorrow? Well, it's going to take uh, time uh, in the sense of getting the DAs lined up again, getting uh, the judges in terms of some of the nightmare stories you read about some of these judges, that that problem is worse. And I always have been beating up on the DAs and the legislation, the city council. But uh, take a look at some of these judges that uh, uh, we've got. Let's face it, it's a screwed up system. It's going to take a while to fix it. But it has to begin with the legislature, and that's where the pressure needs to be applied. That's where the attention has to be applied. Uh, district attorneys, in many instances, are hamstrung by the same laws that I complain about. The idea of dismissals, that uh, they get somebody in front of a judge, and the judge still lets them out. One of the reasons the DAs don't uh, prosecute a lot of these cases and dismiss them before they even get into a court is that 15-day rule where they have to provide all the evidence in a case to a defense attorney within 15 days. Impossible in a city that's making 100,000 arrests a year. And so as a result, their hands are tied also. So looking at this situation, there's many areas that need to be fixed, but it all comes down to legislation. You know what, Commissioner, the other thing, this is Craig Eaton, the other thing is the the open discovery rule has a chilling effect on on the victims and also the witnesses. So they have to give over the names and addresses and phone numbers of the victim and the witnesses to the defense counsel. And, you know, it gets into the hands of the Crips and the Bloods, and they find out who's going to be testifying against them. And now, you know what? Everybody doesn't want to go forward and testify anymore. That's correct. In terms of that's another aspect of the legislation that was passed apart from the uh, 15-day issue. It's all the information that has to be turned out. So if your neighbor tried to kill you, Basically, uh, he's going to see who's testifying uh, to support his statements in the sense yeah. of witnesses. You know, the and other the thing that goes into that. But, um, no. you, but you know, the other thing um, is also the lack of cops. That's the other thing. I was reading this weekend, <laughs> uh, no, that's, Commissioner, 2,500 cops turn over their badges in 2023. That's heartbreaking. I had 38,000 uh, when I was commissioned the first time. I had 36,000 in 2014 with a lot less crime, 400,000 fewer crimes being committed a year. Uh, this talk of going below 30,000 is insane. This idea of holding up five academy classes, you know what that does to a department when you do something like that? That's five academy classes are effectively two and a half years of classes. They put them on about every four to six months. And... You lose instructors at the academy. Uh, you lose people who are waiting to get on the job with the waiting list. They leave to go to other departments. That 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 proposal uh, should be dead on arrival. You don't stop hiring when you're losing huge numbers. Plus, there's also this issue of concerns now about the overtime budget. A lot of cops making a lot of overtime right now. They complain about it, but a lot of them basically work it voluntarily. Why? Because it contributes to their pension. And if they feel that if they stay around the next year or two that the overtime is going to be cut back, they're going to retire now. So the incentivization to leave the job is incredible. And if you're working an assignment you like and you feel that you're unfortunately going to be transferred back to patrol because patrol is the first priority, it has to always be, well, that's where they're going to put the cops when the precincts start losing cops. And where they're going to get those cops? They're going to pull them out of some of these assignments that people have worked hard to get into. No, the, the mess that's being created right now is just phenomenal. And once again, that can be fixed also. And, uh, Commissioner, I mean, I've had talking points from my uh, some of my Democratic friends and says, oh, arrests are down. 
I mean, but that's a talking point. Don't they realize that the police officers are not making arrests because by the time they finish filling out the paperwork, the criminal has gone home already? At this time of this great crisis of crime and disorder in our city, why are we boasting about arrests being down? Uh, effectively, you want arrests up, but more importantly, you want arrests that then lead to prosecution and then lead to incarceration, particularly for those 3,300 that Commissioner Sewell talked about, about those repeat offenders, whether it's fair evaders, shoplifters. Uh, we've lost sight of the fact that the way to deter bad behavior is to control it. And one of the ways you have to control it, unfortunately, is not supervised uh, uh, supervision. Uh, the, some of the foolish things they do in the sense of, uh, well, we're going to have them call in once a week and tell us what they're up to. That doesn't work. You need to put people in jail. And one of the reasons the excuses they use not to put people in jail is how bad the jails are. But they purposely let the jails get that bad to give an excuse not to put people into jail. In years ahead, it's going to be very interesting when they study this phenomenon of the 21st century and how they screwed it up. Because in the 20th century, we got it right. We made some mistakes, some significant mistakes that we learned from. But in the 21st century, we're not learning from the mistakes. We're compounding them over and over again. So the idea of celebrating arrests are now. Why? Well, the cops basically... One, unempowered to make a lot of arrests they used to be able to make. Two, if they make an arrest, they know nothing's going to happen with them. So that's a disincentivization in and of itself. No, we could go on and on, but basically, John, I uh, basically salute you and your colleagues, the New York Post, for continuing to beat the drum on this issue. And maybe eventually be able to beat some sense into the the minds and the heads of these legislators. Commissioner, we're trying to beat some sense into uh, uh, our citizens. on on our politicians. Now, I mean, I can't understand. I showed it to somebody the other night. I forgot where I was. Uh, we're building a, a what, 28-story, 30-story jail in Chinatown, and we don't have high, money to have high, high, high rise jails don't work. I had one next to my headquarters in Los Angeles. Uh, uh, the seven years I was there. The movement of people up and down elevators uh, constantly during the day, the number of corrections officers necessary, uh, they do not work. Spend that money in fixed Rikers so that Rikers actually serves two purposes. It incarcerates bad people, but it also tries to rehabilitate other people that could effectively be rehabilitated. And they do neither of those things now. Commissioner, thank you so much for coming on. And keep, let's all keep fighting. Whenever I see a tweet, I retweet it from you. I do, too. Well, please do. <laughs> he tags both of us. I love that. <laughs> okay, thank well, you. We'll, we'll keep, keep fighting. We'll keep tweeting or Xing, I guess we have to call it now. Yes, yes. exactly. Keep thank up the good so fight. Much. Uh, okay. All the best. Bye-bye. Thank you. Let's take a uh, a uh, break, and we're going to come back. And we got and Bill O'Reilly will be on at the end of the show. You're commuting home. Cats and Cosby. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back here on Cats and Cosby. We continue in the studio with Congressman, always a Congressman, Peter King, also Craig Eaton, also Judge Richard Weinberg. And we have with us also from the West Coast, as John says. <laughs> the West Coast. <laughs> I love the West Coast. I'm going to adopt Langworthy. it. I know. I love that. Congressman, it's so great to have you here in studio. You have a real living Congressman here, not just some old guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you are breathing fire. Yeah. You I, I'm going to draft Pete King to make the comeback, to come back into the 118th Congress. We need you back. Yeah, his yes. fire. We I tried, I tried that a half hour ago. You can run a squad district. Let me give you my wife's phone number, Nick. You can give her a call. <laughs> 
so Congressman, what's on the plate? First, I want to ask you, what is the big agenda items? One of the things I'm thinking, first off, Israel funding. That was the first thing I know that um, the new speaker who we had on, which was, he, I thought he was terrific um, when he came on here on the show. But the first thing he passed was a resolution supporting Israel. And then also the House passed the funding where are they at? Because look what's going on right now. Well, I mean, Speaker Johnson's phenomenal. I mean, I think he showed when, when, when we elected him as Speaker after what was a really messy couple of weeks and something that should never have happened. Kevin McCarthy should still be the Speaker. Uh, this, this was this was a grave error. But the, the good thing is we have a good man leading our, our conference now. He dispensed with all of the pageantry of an election of a Speaker. He stood down. He says, I don't want any parties. I don't want any receptions. We're going to get to work. We'll be back in an hour. We're going to pass a resolution showing this body's support for the state of Israel. And then the next week we came back and we not only presented an aid package of $14 billion to support Israel, but we showed a way to pay for it. We took it out of Joe Biden's army of IRS agents, the 87 thousand irs agents that uh that he he shoved into the budget last year and uh we we eliminated those as a way to pay for this that is now sitting at the senate guess what crickets when what can uh, what's the time frame so so they will take no action and chuck schumer has sworn he will take no action it's amazing the amount of democrats that refuse to vote for israel aid just because they, they voted for irs agents over israel it's it's amazing uh but we need action. We are going to take these issues separate, no matter how much Joe Biden wants to lump all of the foreign situations into one package. Uh, I like things that are simple, easy to understand for people. So Israel, yes, strong, strong support. Ukraine, we need, you know, there, there's a, obviously the mission is clear. Putin is a butcher and a murderer, but there's people that want safeguards to make sure that, that we're not getting ripped off, that our European allies are coming to the table at the, at the levels that they have pledged to. And, uh, we also have a southern border that's raging as we have a, a just an endless flow of people coming illegally over the southern border. These things need to be addressed before we give a one-size-fits-all $105 billion foreign aid package to the president. Yeah, and speaking of the border, uh, the president last week finally said the word fentanyl, Congressman Langworthy. But you know what's amazing? He doesn't say close the border. It's like as if fentanyl magically appears in the United has States. It, has you used the word Iran yet? I don't think he has. And in fact, it, over the weekend, he still hasn't used it. He kept is, saying Hamas, Hamas. This is the most sad and feckless foreign and domestic policy that I think this country's ever had. I mean, it, it, elections have well, consequences. You know, and, Congressman, and what folks, I we said, got who you bought. What, what I said on Friday is that uh, this reminds me today, because I'm older than all you guys, except me and King here. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that it Weinberg is your kid, by the way. When what happened during Abe Lincoln again? What no, was that? Jimmy Carter was president, <laughs> right? And the, and everybody was waiting for Ronald Reagan to take over. Well, Jimmy Carter, uh, Joe Biden, Jimmy Carter loved America, and I'm worried about Jimmy uh, Joe Biden. I, I certainly am. We're seeing a foreign policy that has no direction, no direction, no guts. Uh, no, we're, we're not celebrating American exceptionalism, and we're certainly not putting America first. And they don't fear and, and us. How many attacks have we had? There's 70, 74, 74 attacks today. today. 74 I mean, attacks. And, 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 One is too many. Uh, One listen, is too many. We're gonna, our troops are going to get demoralized. I, I mean, I mean the, the same thing that you heard out of Bill Bratton with the cops. The demoralization of our, our, our men and women in uniform, whether it's they're domestically here as law enforcement officers or those that are putting their lives on the line in the Middle East right now.
Yeah. The fact that this is going on and you have a commander in chief that's not standing strong and tall and saying, hell no, this isn't going to happen on my watch. Well, and I wonder what he what would have happened had he done that to begin with. I mean, he didn't do it with Ukraine. He said minor incursion. Look what happened. Didn't do it. Isn't doing it here. He's still kind of a little waffly. Even if you hear his language, it's still a, waffly is not good. Congressman, it, it, it's it's a fecklessness. And that's in, in the world watches. When you have a weak president, there's a lot of international mischief. You know who didn't have it? Ronald Reagan. You know who didn't have it? Donald Trump. Because when you got cowboy diplomacy and people say, I can't take this guy for granted. I don't know what he's going to do. You have a more peaceful world. Well, one of the things we've talked about here also, and we've talked a lot about on the show, and I think it needs to be brought up again, is the fact that we are not sanctioning the oil. I mean, that's an easy thing. They're making $2 billion a week. How do you think they're paying for their that's war machine? That's who's paying the terrorism. And, 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 the four mullahs in Iran are paying for the terrorism. And we're going round Crazy. and round with Qatar talking about un- unfreezing assets. I mean, they should be starved out, period. Yes. And they're still holding Americans. By the way, today it came out just a little bit ago. Eight to nine Americans are still left. They only got the one girl. They got the two women early on. But in this batch... And now there's a lot of men and there's a couple women that are left of this of the Americans. They believe there's still obviously a lot of other hostages. Where is our president who said, you know what? You're not going to get a one day of ceasefire unless you release the Americans. We haven't heard that. We haven't heard anything out of this president. Well, there's, no when, there's no plan. When Ronald Reagan t- took office, the Iranians were so crapped out yeah. that, that they released the prisoners before Ronald Reagan entered office. Right. Right. And by the way, they need to fear us again. Well, we're, and they waiting, don't. we're Respect waiting for our next fear. Ronald Reagan. Yeah, I, that's a great. I stole yeah. your line, John, by the okay. way. I use that on the later show, too. All right. <laughs> we gotta, we, let's go to Dr. Peter Mihalo. She's got some uh, innovative things to talk about. And uh, then we'll uh, then go we got Bill O'Reilly. To a break and we got Bill O'Reilly tonight. Yeah, we've got uh, Dr. Peter Mihalos is on. Uh, Dr. Peter, take it away. Well, what I was going to talk about tonight is about the illegal lab uh, discovered uh, a bio lab in Reedley, California. And it just uh, is a warning sign out there to all our politicians to please do what you have to do and protect us because there are profound gaps in our security. When a uh, inspector had walked into a lab and found this uh, illegally operating lab by a foreign uh, citizen that had vials of COVID, hepatitis, Ebola, HIV with samples of urine and blood everywhere. And the select committee uh, rightly uh, this week just found that the illegal biolab was actually run by a foreign citizen who was a wanted fugitive from Canada with a $330 million Canadian dollar judgment against him because he was stealing American intellectual property rights. And uh, they were making uh, home test kits. And the, the problem with this is that this thing was just happening right in our own within our own borders. Uh, an illegally operating lab, and it's a national security threat, and we need to wake up as Americans, and we need to get Peter King back in the Congress to help. Are you trying to recruit him, too? <laughs> we were all, we're all trying back. to recruit we, we tried. him. We tried three times. Yeah, already, we doctor. tried in the studio. That doesn't work. Yeah. Dr. Miklos, it's Richard Weinberg. What I'm troubled by is we know about the one lab, but as Congressman Gallagher has been running point on this issue and said that the FBI didn't do anything and CDC didn't do anything, We don't know how many labs are out there like that. What we do know is that this was being funded by the Chinese Communist Party. I mean, this is very serious stuff. And why isn't this a number one issue for this country? Yeah, I think that uh, these companies, what's scarier is that they're selling testing kits in the United States and people are buying these testing kits. 
So I think that we really need to have, as we've talked about in WABC, an analysis of our supply chain, and we need to track where things are coming from, and we need to make, start making our own things here in the United States and not depend on other countries for uh, kits and masks and gloves and gowns. And everybody wants the, the cheap deal, but we're, we're going to end up paying for it with a disaster. Could you imagine if they had uh, nefarious operations and they leaked out an Ebola virus and they also found a thousand mice? Imagine if they were infecting mice with some diseases and releasing them. So we could have a, a big problem and uh, basically... Uh, we need to uh, protect our citizens and we need to have systems in place to protect ourselves, just like the Israelis got caught on October 7th. And when they let their guard down and, you know, we're letting we have to, we can't let our guard down with these illegal bio labs uh, around the United States. And also we're finding out even in Europe, there was some bio labs that were discovered even in Ukraine that probably shouldn't have been doing what they're doing. Yeah, lots of stuff. Wow. Dr. Peter Mihalos, thank you very much. Really great to have you here on such an important topic. Thank you, Peter. Thanks for the kind words, Doc. Thanks for getting the word out. (laughs) Thank you very much, Dr. Peter Mihalos. And stick with us, everybody, because after the break, Bill O'Reilly is coming up, and he's got some big stuff. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back here on Cats and Cosby and Congressman Nick Langworthy continuing with us in the studio. Also, Congressman, former Congressman, but always a Congressman, Peter King, Craig Eaton, Judge Richard Weinberg. And joining us now is the great Bill O'Reilly, of course, has the number one best-selling killing series, uh, number one uh, nonfiction in the world, just was on Goodreads Book of the Year, and his latest book is, of course, Killing the Witches. Also on WABC every night, 9 to 10, Common Sense with Bill O'Reilly. Um, Bill, I know that you are hot on the fact that we are losing cops, which is so concerning. Well, I thought Brad was pretty good earlier in the program um, laying out what has to be done. Uh, in order to improve the situation. But I think it's very important to understand um, how we got here. Um, Because if you don't understand history, you're doomed to repeat it, correct? Um, And I always come at these things from not only a journalism point of view, but a historian. So this is called an unintended consequence of progressive leadership. The voters of New York State have decided they want to be mini California. Why? I have no blanket idea why. They want to be the highest tax state in the union, which we are. They want to have a chaotic criminal justice system, which we do. They want to have a one party, essentially a one party system in Albany, which there is. And now the consequences of that are being felt by every single individual who lives in the state. Now, you would think there would be a Boston Tea Party, okay? Maybe a, uh, uh, a Tea Party down in Brooklyn on the docks, and we'd be throwing effigies of these people in the, in the bay, in the Hudson River or the East River. But we're not. You don't see a popular uprising. And I have to tell you, I don't understand it. It's right before your eyes. In California, it's the same thing. You see... The devastation of San Francisco, Los Angeles, you know how corrupt your government is. And it's the same thing here. 
you elect a mayor, Eric Adams, who is a huge sanctuary city cheerleader. Well, the unintended consequence of that is now you can't pay your cops. So you're not going to have as many. And the good ones, the vets, are packing it up. Well, what do you think the unintended consequence of that's going to be? Somebody hurting you. That's what it's going to be. Yet, if the election were held tomorrow, the progressive left would still win. And that's why hundreds of thousands of people are leaving New York state and city. Exactly that. So how do you break that cycle, uh, Bill? Because you're right. Like, what does, I mean, I feel like we're, we are at, at such a degradation right now. I mean, look at the, between the, the crime and everybody smoking weed. And uh, I mean, there are so many issues. The taxes, we're all talking about congestion pricing. What is it going to take? The migrants? I, I mean, how do you turn it around? Well, 40% of New York City school children are truant. That's the worst of the worst. So the next generation is going to be worse than this generation. Uh, the only way you they're going to be dumb, dumb up. Well, it's not. It's, look, if you don't know anything and you can't earn a living, what do you think you're going to turn to? Crime. So Crime. the only way to turn it around is if the media would turn around. And I don't see that happening. And it's a very interesting uh, thought process. You've got the New York Times that couldn't care less about New York. All right. It's in business to promote a liberal agenda nationwide. You got the New York Daily News essentially out of business because its editorial policies were so insane. You the New York Post, which is conservative. But the local news stations, all five of them, almost completely abdicate their responsibility to report honestly about what's happening in New York City. Instead, they give their weatherman four and a half minutes. They cover every fire and, you know, the outrageous crime stories have to be covered. But you don't get any analysis on television. They're all scared to death of saying anything. When I was working at Channel 2, That was not the case. If the media doesn't turn around and begin to hold these liberal progressive politicians accountable, which they are not, then you're not going to have a turnaround. It's not going to. Bill, this is Craig Eaton. Uh, The one problem I see is you're not going to be able to turn anything around unless we can motivate Republicans to go out and vote. And, And in 2022, in 2023, the Assembly and the Senate in 22 and the Council in 23, we have the worst crime figures we've had in decades. And if that's not going to motivate people to go out and vote to change the tide and the course of this city and state, how are we going to get people elected with common sense? WABC is a good example of a media operation that has risen to the top of the radio market here, the largest market in the country, by laying out the dangers of what we are facing from the progressive juggernaut. But the television stations have not followed suit. And, yes, there are apathetic Republicans and Democrats that people couldn't care less about local market, 
uh, races. They're busy. They got kids screaming. They got to earn a living. I get it. But once the media starts to turn and the Internet goes along with it, then you get pressure, societal pressure. But if you walk down the street today in New York City and say, who's the president of the New York Senate in Albany? You think anybody's going to know that? No one. Because the local media who's in charge of that reportage doesn't do it. They want to they want to cover a cat in a tree in Queens. And I'm saying that literally. Look at what you have. And unless the media's drive outrage, then the people are not going to follow. Great point. Great point, Bill. Yeah, it's true. But that's a sad situation, Bill. You know, the, the, fact, the fact you said the next generation is going to be worse. It's like, how much worse can we get? Oh, you can get worse. Oh, boy. We're talking about <laughs> yeah. not making it to 2076, the 300th year of our country. That's right. It's it's a sad position where we are right now. And and Bill, I look at even some of the protests that are out there. A lot of these students are there. And where's the, look what they're learning from the teachers, too. Well, they're not learning anything. These are morons who are out there. And that's a contagion, Rita. I went through it in Vietnam. I went through the Jane Fonda sitting on the gun. I went through the Ho Chi Minh is, is the greatest guy. I went through all that. These, these kids don't know anything about Israel or Hamas or Gaza. They have no sense of history. They don't know why uh, Israel even exists. They're out there because their friends are out there. It's fun. They're getting this cause trouble. The high school in Queens threatening the teacher. All that's fun for them. Again, it's scary. No leadership, no responsibility. Bill, Bill O'Reilly, what are you going to talk about at 9 o'clock tonight? Well, we're leading with uh, the uh, situation. And if you go to BillOReilly.com, uh, I wrote a message of the day on how, and this is apart from the politics, how general civility, lead, just dressing well, speaking well, it's on the endangered species list. Yeah, the Nike. It was called, I read your column. It was great, Bill, like the Nike generation, right? It was about it's the sneakers. Insane. Yep. And it, it's not the younger people. It's the old guys. They're wearing $1,000 suits in the sneakers. What? It was a great column. By the way, I, t I encourage everybody. I, I read it a couple times. It was fabulous, Bill. Bill, thank you. And we're going to be tuning in tonight. Common Sense with Bill O'Reilly, 9 to 10 p.m. here on WABC. And check out that column because it was awesome. And what do we all stand for? Truth, Truth justice, and the American way. way. God bless America.